Hello, hello, all you wonderful people. Thank you for tuning in to your one black friend, a podcast. To all my regular listeners, thanks for tuning in again today. And to my new listeners, I just want to say welcome. I hope that in this time, you guys are all staying healthy happy and safe. And when I mean healthy, when I say healthy, I mean both physically, psychologically, and emotionally healthy. All these things matter. When you are tuning in to the news, if you are tuned into the news, um, I, I can imagine that you are probably freaking the fuck out right now <laughs> because that's their job. It's always been their job. I will consistently say this in every episode. It has become my mantra. This, there has never been a time, ever been a time, where the media has not taken a situation and amplified it. So, if you are still watching the news, you're still tuning in to CNN or Fox News or MSNBC, whatever you're watching, and that's on 24-7 like as a background noise, you will be extremely stressed out right now. So, um, And I'm saying that from experience. My mom loves the news, okay? However... This is a strong African woman. She's of the Igbo tribe. These are very strong people. And I remember during the 9-11 attacks, she had the news on 24-7, CNN on 24-7. Like it was just going and going and going. And as a result of that, and all the hype and the way they, you know, ramped everything up and made it seem like it was Armageddon and the end of the world, she ended up being... Um, diagnosed with uh, anxiety disorder, like anxiety attacks, and then they put her on Paxil. Um, thankfully, she was able to come off of it. But during all of this is going on, she actually called me yesterday because I consistently keep telling her, I have turned off the news. I don't know what's going on. If I do need to kind of get an overview rather than turning on the TV and hearing people mix their opinions with fact and present that as facts, I uh, would rather just read through articles because then I can just kind of scroll through from top to bottom, see what's going on, pick the information, skip over the bullshit and just learn what I need to learn, kind of like a newspaper, you know, and then go, go about my day. And so she said, you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm off today. My mom's a nurse, so she's still, you know, having to go into work until, you know, all of this blows over. Um, so she's like, oh, I'm off today, thankfully. Um, but I'm just eating chips and watching Golden Girls, which tickled me because this is a Nigerian mom. And I don't know how many of your listeners are, like, either have immigrant parents or just are, you know, Nigerian um, but just imagine your immigrant mom calling you saying, I'm eating chips and watching the Golden Girls. It was just hilarious to me. But I, that, that made me feel good. It made me feel like my repetitive 
annoying mantra of turn off the fucking news, mom, um, finally has sunk in. And she seems happy. She's in good spirits. And that, that's good. Um, you have a choice to make through all of this. You have, to, you have a conscious choice to make through all of this. And then the one choice is, do I turn on the news? It's their job to magnify things. It's their nature. On the previous episode, I, I talked about, am I going to complain about the venom on a venomous snake? It, that's its nature. It is what it is, right? If you, if you see something and you know its nature, to complain about what it is sort of is counterproductive. So I, I'm alerting you that the news has never been a source of calming, <laughs> just, you know, just promoting the facts. If they were, the reporting would have changed in the sense of they would have been leading with kind of common sense stuff that the reason why we're seeing the cases jump up is because we have more testing. And so as more people get tested, more people are going to obviously test positive for exposure to the virus. Because like I have said, this thing has been going around since November. If we were all to test for this, I would guarantee like 85% of people will test positive for exposure to this virus, period, period. Because once again, they've known about this since January. That means this thing has been spreading since January. And then they decided to shut everything down in March. So for two months, we've been in contact with people, shaking hands with people, had dinner, lunch, met with people, got coughed on by people <laughs> carrying the virus. Um, and I, like I had said, you know, if you started reporting the numbers of the flu, and I said it in previous episodes, and I always refer back or reference previous episodes just because I do want people, this is more for new listeners because I know that when you're when you start listening to a new podcast, you're sort of like, oh, let me just pick a title that sounds good and then kind of jump in. Um, but I always like to point out that there are things that I kind of talk about in previous episodes that do end up becoming relevant, you know, moving forward. Um, so that's why I do that. Um, just to encourage you to go back to those episodes and listen through it. And I also, I, I, I speak really slowly. But in every listening podcast, listening app, there is the ability to speed up the podcast. So even if you bump it up, you know, 1.25 or 1.5 or 2x speed, you can kind of go through the information that I'm presenting you faster. Um, Overcast is great. Um, A lot of my listeners are coming in from Overcast. Um, I love them because what they do also is uh, their interface allows you to shorten pauses and silences um, and and skip ads as well. Um, so that's great. Um, so I, I recommend Overcast. Um, it's a one employee run um, program. Um, and uh, they're good people. So I would recommend that if you are listening from Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, uh, check out Overcast. Um, all the podcasts that are on iTunes are also available on Overcast. And um, 
you have the ability, like I said, to skip, you know, pauses and silences and, and the sound quality, you can amplify the sound quality and uh, you can also speed up my speaking rate um, as well. So in the last episode, I said that this is going to go go over, give it two weeks. I, I, I still believe that April is the month where we're going to see the peak and then it's going to dissipate as the weather warms up, right? And as these companies like Gilead and all the other companies are working to now get their drug to, you know, to, be, to become more available to the general public, the drug works. It's just there are all these rules um, and bureaucratic bullshit that are in place and guidelines. Yes, I know, to, to protect the general public um, as well, but there's also just bureaucratic nonsense, too, um, that so we just need to this is the tunnel right now there is a light at the end of the tunnel let's get through this and let's get through this together in good spirits um part of what what will help make it so that these two weeks are not painful is turn off the news there aren't going to tell they aren't going to tell you anything new that you don't already know they're going to talk about people dying. They're going to talk about people being hospitalized. They're going to talk about, you know, hospitals being built and things of that nature. You know, copy, paste, repeat. You already know. There's no new information there. Everything, and I've always kind of said this to my mom specifically because she always chastised me about not watching the news. And I said, everything I need to know about what's going on, I can see from outside my window. If it's pressing to me, and if it's going to affect me or my family, I will be able to see it outside of my window. Um, But one of the reasons why I like just looking outside the window, I'm actually looking outside the window right now as I record this, um, is because you're kind of, you get grounded visually back to nature. That's what we're supposed to be, a part of nature, not apart from nature, right? So you get grounded to where we are supposed to be as, as a part of nature. You see the birds flying, you know, we're starting to see spring. So the flowers are in bloom. It's a beautiful time. It really is. So you can either look at the screen that's telling you you know, all the doom, gloom, death, and despair, and really tune into that and hype yourself up and manifest, you know, have your body manifest the symptoms that they're telling you, right, that, you know, are associated with this thing. Or you can look outside the window and remind yourself that in the grand scheme of things, life is still going. The earth is still, you know, spinning. The sun is still shining. The birds are still, you know, doing their thing. You know, the flowers are still blooming, and this is spring, and it's beautiful. You know, one of the positive things that has come from all of, the thing, all, all of this is going on is that the air is cleaner. You know, I, I, I'm underlining all of this, I've kind of been wondering, like, okay, what else is the agenda here to keeping people, you know, at home? Yes, there's the profiteering of the media conglomerates and, and the control and the power plays of the, both the Republican and the Democratic parties. 
um, and, and they're dancing for power and dancing for attention and dancing, you know, to, to profit from the downturn of the economy and the uh, downturn of the stock market. So there's that. But what else? And I think like they're saying like in LA, for example, just from like a, was it, a, it's been about a week, uh, a week or so, I don't even know, I'm running, losing track of time, but just let's say a week and a half of everything being kind of shut down and locked down. You know, the skies are clearing up. You know, the water in Venice, there's, I've seen pictures of the water in Venice being, you know, cleaner now because you don't have this, you know, the pollution. And the air is just crisp and fresh. And the sunsets have been gorgeous. And the rain, when it, it did rain a couple of days ago, just feels different. And there's just something magical about it. It almost feels like a, a tiny little time machine where we're able to go back to a time period where there wasn't as much, you know, air traffic pollution and, and you know, uh, ground traffic pollution and things of that nature. And I think that that's great. And enjoy that. You know, enjoy this time. You, you do have a choice. Um, everything in this reality is duality. And so you can choose, you know, to, to turn your mind, tune your mind into the programming of death and despair and disaster. Or you can tune your mind to the beauty that is outside of your very window. Nature. That, that's what the body was kind of meant to be tuned in with. We're, we're not meant to constantly consume as much news and media as we have been consuming. So, you know, let's get through these next two weeks together. Um, go sit outside and get some sun, work on your tan. Um, it's beautiful out there. Yeah, so... Uh, you know, all is well and all will be well. So the purpose of this podcast um, is I wanted to share with you guys a quote that I read in a book by Swami Vivekananda. I have mentioned him in other episodes before. Um, but this is a quote from the complete works of Swami Vivekananda and the idea behind this quote is a comparison of the world as a a wheel, a turning wheel. Um, now, I'm sure you guys have heard of the world being sort of compared to a wheel. But what I love about this is that it uh, it compares the world to a Ferris wheel. And as I was reading it, I, I've always sort of operated on the premise that you know, we're living not in a universe, but in a multiverse, and of parallel universes and our parallel selves, and also running on the premise that I am not the body, I am the soul operating the body, and um, in parallel multiverses or in parallel universes, there are other versions of my physical body, Joe, being inhabited by other consciousness. Right? other people. Um, so I talk about that in more detail in my other podcasts. It's just a 15-episode anthology, um, very calming. I had, I had, I had a listener uh, message me and tell me how like, she loves when, when, when she listens to that podcast because I play like 
you know, soothing music in the background, and then I, you know, it's just very calming. But the information that, you know, is being discussed is like mind opening, um, paradigm shif- shifting stuff. Um, but I, I stopped it at 15 episodes because I figured, you know, you get the basic gist of it. Um, and I wanted to sort of take a lot of that information and start to blend it in to this podcast. And instead of having it being like something that's more scripted, being something where I just kind of talk off the dome because there's just a bit more freedom uh, to that. But I still think that, hey, you've got plenty of time if you're looking for something else to listen to. Check out the Dark Oracle's Guide to the Multiverse if you're into that sort of thing. Um, I talk about things like death um, being an illusion, um, you know, multiverses, parallel selves, and things of that nature. But I'm also going to kind of touch upon those aspects more so going forward in this podcast because it's just more it's just fun um uh it's just fun so um this is the quote uh here it goes it says you have seen the big ferris wheel in chicago the wheel revolves and the little rooms in the wheel are regularly coming one after another one set of persons gets into these and after they have gone round the circle, they get out and a fresh batch of people gets in. Each one of these batches is like one of these manifestations from the lowest animals to the highest man. Nature is like the chain of the Ferris wheel, endless and infinite. And these little carriages are the bodies of forms or forms in which fresh batches of souls are riding, going up higher and higher until they become perfect and come out of the wheel. But the wheel goes on. And so long as the bodies are in the wheel, it can be absolutely and mathematically foretold where they will go. That's deep. I love that. But not so of the souls. I'm going to say that again. So long as the bodies are in the wheel, it can be absolutely and mathematically foretold where they will go, right? But not so of the souls. Thus, it is possible to read the past and the future of nature with precision. We see then that there is recurrence of the same material phenomena at certain periods and that the same combinations have been taking place through eternity. But that is not the immortality of the soul. No force can die. No matter can be no matter can be annihilated. What becomes of it? It goes on changing backwards and forwards until it returns to the source from which it came. There is no motion in a straight line. Everything moves in a circle. A straight line, infinitely produced, becomes a circle. If that is the case, there cannot be eternal degeneration for any soul. It cannot be. Everything must complete the circle and come back to its source. Everything must complete the circle and come back to its source. What are you and I and all these souls? In our discussion of evolution and involution, 
we have seen that you and I must be part of the cosmic consciousness, cosmic life, cosmic mind, which got involved. And we must complete the circle and go back to this cosmic intelligence, which is God. This cosmic intelligence is what people call Lord or God or Christ or Buddha or Brahman what the materialists perceive as force and the agnostics as the infinite inexpressible beyond. And we are all parts of that. That is like the deepest shit that I've ever read, ever. I'm exaggerating a little bit, That's, but it's one, of the, it's one of my favorite quotes ever. As I was kind of reading through um, the book, I came across that and I was like, boom, that, there it is. There it is. Every science fiction story that you have ever read that deals with consciousness, that deals with parallel universes, that deals with multiverses, that deals with you know, a collective consciousness, that deals with, with a hive mind, that deals with avatars. Every single science fiction subject, topic, dealing with all these things, the matrix, all point down to this quote right here. And this quote was, was echoed, spoken a hundred years ago, right around the 1920s. Brilliant. Now, Swami Vivekananda is a Hindu um, guru of sorts. Um, some people listening to this might be turned off by references to God. Um, but he doesn't mean God in a religious sense. And I don't take that to mean God in a religious sense. All right. So this conversation, this episode, we're going to delve into, we're going to talk about consciousness, the collective consciousness, the body, the psyche, the soul, parallel universes. Yes, we're, we're, we're going in, we're going in and we're going to go hard. Um, first and foremost, first and foremost, what is the collective consciousness? Well, Hindus and Buddhists believe that we are all Brahman. We are all God, right? We are all each quote unquote individual is an, is an illusion more or less. Um, the way I look at it is this. Take a futuristic society, a, co- a collective hive mind of individuals, right? If you are familiar with like the TV show uh, Star Trek, they have dealt with different races of, you know, humanoids. They tackle different races of humanoids on Star, Star Trek where, you know, they are part of a collective hive mind or whatever. And I, I believe that that's what ends up happening or what will end up happening to us as, you know, as we become more and more kind of plugged in both uh, fortunately or unfortunately through our access to the internet. Um, The more we begin to start incorporating technology into our daily lives, it's just inevitable. As I've said, think about how right now the entire world is on the same sort of vibration. Everybody collectively, because of our phones, collectively is feeling fear, trepidation, you know, just vibrating low, right? So it's a technology 
has caused all of us to react in the exact same way at the exact same time. We are starting to experience the beginning of a physical manifestation of a collective hive mind that has always existed, right? But we're just seeing it come into play more so um, tangibly through technology. Um, so where do scientists and artists alike pull inspiration from? Well, if you talk to most scientists and if you talk to most successful scientists and, and artists and writers and poets and things of that nature, they'll all say the same thing. I don't know where this inspiration is coming from. I don't know where this, you know, these ideas come from. You know, they, a lot of, even Einstein, the way he was able to come up with his theories, same with Isaac Newton, um, was by detaching from the idea of self and tuning into this collective consciousness, this hive mind. If you study their, you know, their writings, their autobiographies, and anything that they've said about how they developed their theories, they all say the same thing. They typed in, they tapped into this collective. They didn't create, they didn't come up with these ideas. It came to them. Some scientists have said that, you know, they went to sleep and that, you know, certain theories got presented to them in dream form. All right. So this is an ongoing phenomena that has existed since the beginning of, you know, our known history. Um, it's there. So we are all part of this collective consciousness, this collective hive mind. But we are part of this illusion of individuality. And that illusion is what the Hindus call Maya. Right. All of us, all, all gods, all eternal souls are pretending that we are mortals, having a mortal experience. So the way I describe it in the other podcast, in your Dark Oracle podcast, to talk about, think about a futuristic society that has overcome all the things that kind of plague us now, right? Worry, um, fear, famine, disease, you know, and they don't have to work, right? They have a universal basic income. They, their physical, you know, bodies have kind of been genetically modified or altered to the point where, you know, they don't die. So they're more or less, they become immortals. Now that's obviously a more materialistic, uh, description of what this world is. And I don't necessarily believe that the re our real selves are material beings, but for the sake of that podcast, I kind of wanted to take a more technological slant to the interpretation of, you know, spiritual and Buddhist and Hindu um, theosophy and philosophy and theology and um, kind of create the story from that. So that's why I took that mindset, just to make these ideas a little bit easier to grasp. But think about it like that. So what then would such a society, right, a futuristic society, um, what would be the only thing that would plague them, right? Well, the problem with having everything and no, no sickness, no disease, whatever, is that you really can't, for, for all eternity, you're going to be bored. A great show and book, um, a great show and book that really delves into what I'm talking to you about um, at least, you know, from an entertainment perspective is Altered Carbon. You can see it on Netflix. You've got time. 
Um, <laughs> uh, and there are these. So basically, in the future, each of us has our consciousness stored as a chip that gets inserted into the back of the neck of basically of machine bodies, right? And so they, the author of that series literally took the concept of Buddhism, things that I'm talking to you right now, and turned it into a sci-fi novel. And like I said, you know, every science fiction story having to do with avatars or, you know, consciousness or um, collective hive minds or immortality or thing, things of that nature all have their foundations, all have their roots in Buddhism and uh, Hinduism. Eastern religion. Anyway, so uh, the maths, these are super wealthy individuals who have enough wealth to make it so that they have countless bodies and they never die. I mean, nobody can die in that reality, but a lot of the times if you lose your body, you know, getting a new body is very expensive. So you basically are just stored in this like chip until either somebody can afford to spin you up into a new body or that's just where you are for all eternity. Now, obviously that's a sci-fi slant slant to the, you know, what I'm discussing about, you know, right now, but it still it allows you to kind of start to grasp and understand um, Buddhism, actually, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, so, you know, so there's that. So what I was saying is, so the mats on altered carbon, they, because they've lived for so long, you know, I think in season one, a lot of them are like 300, 400 years old or whatever. Um, one thing that starts to kind of affect them and infect them is uh, boredom. So they start doing kind of sociopathic things and sort of weird, you know, inhumane behaviors because they're bored, right? And as I've discussed in previous episodes, I've talked about, you know, death, um, um, if we, what would happen if we live in a world where no one could die? Well, that would be sort of, um, it would make us less human. So I would check out that episode if you haven't had a chance to do that, um, yet. Um, but anyway, yeah, boredom was the sort of underlining driving thing. So they have different ways in which they deal with their boredom. However, what I'm saying is for us, take that idea and apply it to us now in this reality. All of us are playing in this hyper VR game that we have interpreted as reality, right? And we call it life. And so if you ask the average human being, what is life? They're going to tell you this is real. This is all there is. Yeah, especially if you have an you ask an atheist, they say, well, when you die, that's it. You know, your consciousness is trapped in the brain and the brain produces consciousness. And it's, you know, a lot of atheists are extremely materialistic and um, they're bound to this reality. They fully believe in Maya. They fully believe and are convinced of the illusion. Although if you talk to a lot of physicists and neurologists, they're going to tell you something different. They're going to tell you they actually know there's a lot of things about the way the mind operates and the way the body works and the way reality is that we don't understand. And a lot of this stuff ultimately breaks down to what we see being a holographic projection of the mind. These are facts. I'm not making this up. You can Google or read a book 
you know, any read books from, you know, quantum physics. I've referenced them in previous episodes. Um, they're all basically saying the same thing. Um, but spiritual teachers have said the same thing too, that all of this that you see, and they've been saying this since like the time of like the ancient Egyptians and then um, ancient Romans. So thought and then uh, Hermes, um, and then we have the Stoics, and then we have Epicureans, and we have, um, you know, the Hindus and Buddhists. They're all saying the same thing, that none of this is real, that this is an illusion, it's a mind-projected illusion, and, and thus we create and we construct our reality constructively. The problem with religion is that like, I should say the problem with religions like Christianity or, you know, Judaism or even uh, Islam is that they say that one, there's one supreme being that constructed all of this reality. Um, on the flip side, what the Hindus and the Buddhists believe is that, you know, we collectively construct this reality now on an ongoing basis and we are also collectively God. We're just God in different forms, all right? But if you take the word God and you interpret it as consciousness, it starts to kind of make sense. So think of consciousness as a huge body of water, as an ocean, all right? And think of each individual human being, each individual soul, as a collection of water, right? A small body of water that has been derived from the ocean. So the ocean is the collective, right? But each drop or each collection, if I take a jar and I dip it in the ocean, right? And I now hold in that jar, you know, some ocean water. Well, that ocean water has the same properties, as the ocean itself, right? And then if the jar gets destroyed, eventually the water will find itself back to the ocean. Either it evaporates, you know, or, or, and then it gets rained down, but it always finds its way back to the source. So that's what consciousness is. And we are all collectively one consciousness, like a body of ocean, like a body of water, right? But we are manifesting ourselves or we've been manifested in different forms like that jar. And so you think about that jar like your body. Your body is that physical form in which you can experience reality. And then when the body dies or is destroyed, your true self, which is, you know, your consciousness, your soul, your essence, whatever you want to call it, returns back to that body of water. And that huge collective body of water is what you could think of as God, which is formless. It is, you know, it has no properties that we could, we could materialistically uh, assign to, to it. Right. So that's how I, and a lot of um, spiritual thinkers and, and um, even physicists um, have come to understand the, the collective. So what does all of that have to do with the quote I just read? Well, I'll read the quote again and I'll kind of break down the different parts of it. All right, so let's break 
this down. Okay, so the quote starts off by saying, you've seen the big Ferris wheel in Chicago. The wheel revolves and the little rooms in the wheel are regularly coming one after another. One set of persons gets into these and after they have gone around the circle, they get out and a fresh batch of people gets in. Okay, that that to me is like, ooh, chills. I love that. Okay, each one of these batches is like one of these manifestations from the lowest animals to the highest man. Nature is like the chain of the Ferris wheel, endless and infinite. And these little carriages are the bodies or forms in which fresh batches of souls are riding, going up higher and higher until they become perfect and come out of the wheel. But the wheel goes on. And so long as the bodies are in the wheel, it can be absolutely and mathematically foretold where they will go, but not so of the souls. This is the, this is, thus, it is possible to read the past and the future of nature with precision. You see, then, that there is recurrence of the same material phenomena at certain periods, and that the same combinations have been taking place through eternity. Okay, so here's, let me break that down. So the wheel is the world. The wheel is earth. The first wheel is earth, all right? And the, the individual carriages are the human bodies. So when you look in the mirror, you, your body, the person that you have identified with as a body, as your body, as who you are, as what you are, right? When you go, I am Joe, I am Anne, I am... Roa, I am, I am Jay, right? When you look in the mirror, you say, I am this person. What I'm telling you is you are not that person. That person, that persona, right? That persona, and my favorite thing to do um, is uh, etymology. The word persona, the etymology of the word persona um, means uh, like it's, it's a mask, it's a false self. It's a mask, right? So your persona, your person, your personality, they all are derived from the same word meaning mask, false self. Anyway, uh, the, that's, that's not what you really are. It's a carriage. So the world is a spinning wheel, right? It's the earth is spinning. So the world is a ride. It's a Ferris wheel, right? And it's always spun, right? And then you, your body, is part of a carriage, right? Or you, if you want to look at it as a roller coaster, right? Each roller coaster has a little like cart where a rider comes, walks in, right? You sit in, you buckle up, right? And then you go and you do the ride and it does the loop and then you, but it all comes back to full circle and then you get off, okay? So this is, this whole world is like a, a deep, multiplets. I don't know what word I'm looking for here, but it's like a super intense um, roller coaster. Okay. Um, so your body is just a carriage, like, like, like a cart and a roller coaster. So your soul enters the body, does this loop through life. Right. So, and that loop is like the path that your life takes is similar to a path that a roller coaster takes or similar to a path 
I'm guessing at the time that he gave that speech, uh, Vivekananda gave that speech, they didn't have like the crazy roller coaster. So all he could really use as an analogy was a fairy, Ferris wheel. But your life takes that path. And you are just a passenger sort of going through it. But it's a predetermined, pre-designed path. And I can say that with absolute fact because the fact of the matter is any book that you read about, any psychological book, any book on psychology that talks about determinism basically says that contrary to popular belief, the general public is unconscious of the fact that we free will is an illusion. Everything has already been determined. So the path that your life takes more or less, is just as mechanical as the path that a roller coaster takes. It's already determined, predetermined. And then your consciousness basically just gets uploaded into the body. The body is the carriage. And then you ride the ride of your life. And then it goes full circle and it ends, and then you get off, your soul gets off. And it's always done this. So right now, I'm looking out the window, and I, I was thinking to myself, man, if I was going to choose a time to be quote-unquote alive, it would be now. Because, you know, we're not living during the time of the Spanish flu, where we didn't have, you know, means to let people, you know, be aware, of, you know, of, of what's going on, or like the bubonic plague. Right, so just countless of people died for no reason, and we also there was there aren't there wasn't any other time in history, or there isn't any other time in history that I'm conscious of, where we could all simultaneously know that people all over the world are collectively working on a cure and working together to mitigate harm to the collective uh, uh, population. Right. This is like, for me, the best time to be alive. And then it would make sense then that I chose to upload my consciousness into a body that would experience such a time as this um, now. But, but my consciousness is just a rider. I am not tied to this time period. Maybe a version, there was a time when I chose to live through the bubonic plague, or maybe there was a time I chose to live through the Spanish flu or World War II or any other kind of historical moment in time because time, all of time is already pre-written. It's, it's happened. They, they, physicists say that all of time is happening at once. That's a hard concept for people to grasp. So what I say is you can think of all of pre-recorded time as a DVD or a, a, a video game ROM, right? And so when you log in to this reality, it's a VR game, you can take that ROM, put it into like your quantum computer, hit play, take your helmet, your VR helmet, put your head on, put the VR helmet on your, your head or whatever, and then upload your consciousness into this reality into this virtual reality and then you choose a time period and then you choose a character that you want to play as and then you upload your consciousness into that character and then boom 
we are that that's what's happening now now each character each persona each personality has more or less its life path already prescripted and that's what uh, psychologists call determinism. So I'm taking all these concepts that we're conscious of now and I'm, I'm tying it in together. And it's confusing. I understand it's confusing, but I'm going to delve into it over the next couple of uh, days really deeper um, and break it down. So there's going to be a lot of repetition, but the repetition is necessary so that you, you can understand these concepts. It's also necessary for me because the more I talk about it, the more it allows me to simplify these concepts. Um, and honestly, Side sidebar, when I listen to audiobooks, I don't listen to audiobooks just once and then keep it moving. I will listen to the same audiobook for a whole week, just on repeat over and over again. And I know that every time I listen to it, I get something new every time. Every time I read a book, even like just basic ass Harry Potter, like I was rereading Harry Potter the other day and I was like, man, I missed this. Like I, I can't believe I, the first time I read this, I totally glossed over this. So some people have like balked at, you know, repetition and they're like, well, this, I, I don't like this because it's repetitive. But when you go back and you watch something like your favorite TV show, or your favorite movie or whatever, you miss things that you didn't notice because your mind was going off in some random tangent, you know, because it's always running its mouth. So you can go back and rewatch something and enjoy things and, and enjoy it just as much, if not more so than the first time you listened to something or watched something or read something. And so I am repetitive, but I'm repetitive for a reason because these aren't simple concepts. These are paradigm shifting, mind changing concepts. I, I'm trying to change your perception of yourself. I'm trying to change your perception of reality. I'm trying to change your psyche and thus improve your life and, and reduce suffering significantly. So I will have to repeat concepts in different ways because it's through repetition that you learn something. For painting, for example, I didn't just paint once and become a great artist, a great painter, if I do say so myself. It is through Every day, going downstairs and sitting and painting, going downstairs and sitting and painting, doing the same thing over and over and over and over because every time you do something, you learn something new. That's how you become great at anything, at anything. If you're a soccer player, if you're a bodybuilder, you don't just go and work out once and then you're like, okay, I'm good. I'm, I'm fit now. No, it's the act of repetition that that helps you improve, that helps you change, that helps you manifest the changes that you want in your mind, in your body, in your psyche, in your emotions, and even to the negative, right? Like if you are critic if you start off criticizing a person and you continue to repeat that same action, that same behavior, you will become a critical, unhappy person. Right? So same thing with eating foods. If you eat it's one it's okay to have, you know, a cookie today. Right? But then if you have a cookie today and then tomorrow and then the third day and the fourth day, eventually you're going to have a cookie problem, a sugar problem, which is then going to manifest itself to a full-blown you know, disease like 20 years down the, down the line. Um, there was a book I read by, I am going to butcher his name, um, but I think at this point you guys are probably used to me just absolutely destroying people's names. Um, it's called The Essence of the Upanishads by Eknath Easwaran. 
Just Google the essence of the Upanishads and you'll find it. He talks about cause and effect are linked. They're the same thing. Cause and effect are the same thing. It's the same action. All right. So he says, if you are limited, if your view is limited to just slits and you see a cat walk by, right? If you see its head first and then its tail, you're going to think that they're two separate things. But if I take the slits off and you take a step back, you can, you can start to see that, oh, oh, wait, it's all connected. Right. Um, and so the same thing with touch. If you walk up to me and you touch my shoulder, you know, I can't say, oh, you didn't touch me. You just touched my shoulder. Well, my shoulder is part of me. So my soldier, my shoulder is me. So you've touched me. Right. So that's what cause and effect is. Cause we live in a, 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 in a world that, like I've said, is very dual in nature. It breaks everything. It breaks everything down to duality. So in the pain slash pleasure episode that I talked about, you know, we are taught or programmed to look at pain and pleasure as two separate things, but they're not. It's one feeling and just opposite ends of the same one thing. Same as a cat, right? You can look at a cat and say, well, that's the head and that's the tail. Or you can understand that the head and the tail are connected and it's all one thing, the cat. And so cause and effect are more or less the head and the tail of this one thing. You could call it karma if, you know, if it helps. Um, so the, the whole aspect of you logging in or you uploading your consciousness into the persona that you call yourself, you call, you've identified with as you, has contained within it what you would consider cause and effect. But there is no cause and effect. It's all one thing, right? If you plant a seed in the ground and that seed sprouts and becomes a plant, you could say if you didn't know any better that, you know, the seedling becoming the plant is cause and effect. But there is a basal understanding that the seedling had everything in it contained to become that plant. All it needed was the right environment to become that. So they're not separate things. The, the tree that it becomes and the seedling that it starts off as aren't two separate things. The seedling contains everything in it to become a plant. So it's all one thing, right? All it needs is the right circumstances to manifest that. So you enter into this world and by the mere action of your consciousness entering into this world, you are invoking a, a life experience that's already contained in the seed that is your body and, and your experience. Does that make sense? So when Swami Vivekananda talks about the wheel, right? So the wheel is the entire, the entire world. You can look at it as our one universe, just our universe. There are parallel universes, just like there are parallel rides when you go to Universal Studios. There are other rides that sort of have different, you know, loops and have different features or whatever, but you're riding this ride right now. And so this ride right now is Earth in, if I was going to name our, our universe, I'll call our universe uh, Earth 3. Um, the Flash, the Flash uh, TV show does a great job 
of kind of breaking it down. It's kind of corny. Um, it's on the CW and I think it's on CVS. Um, CVS. It's on um, Netflix as well, but it's uh, it does a great job of kind of explaining parallel universes, but in a different way. And it names the different um, Earths. So, but all of everything that we're experiencing right now because it's a wheel, because it's a loop, because this already has happened countless of times before. He is saying then in that quote, right, that nothing is a straight line. It always becomes a loop. If I walk, the reason why they know that the earth is round is because if I walk up completely in a straight line, I will eventually end up right back where I started, right? So that's, that's how we know the shape of the earth, more or less. Um, but everything must complete the circle, the quote says, and come back to its source, right? So you enter, you upload your consciousness into this world. You live the life that's already been prescripted. And at the end of it, you die. That death is not the end of you. It's just you exiting the simulation and returning back to yourself, to your source, to who you were before you entered into this world. And so he says... Um, which got involved in wheels. Da, 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 da. Hold on, I'm trying to find the quote where he says that if that's the case, then we should be able to then predict. Ah, there it is. And so long as the bodies are in the wheel, it can be absolutely and mathematically foretold where they will go, but not so of the souls. Thus, it is possible to read the past and the future of nature with precision. Right. If you study a Ferris wheel, you know that by by its nature, it's meant to go on in a circle. So you can predict where it's where your carriage is going to be at different points until the ride is over. So in Is There Life After Death by Anthony Peake, he talks about uh, various people throughout history who were able to look into the future so long as it was their future that their personas were going to experience, right? But like even Nostradamus, he was only able to predict the future up until the point where he died. And he knew when he was going to die. And that was it. Um, there was also a savant, I can't remember his name right now. I, I want to say it was Richard Nixon, um, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, but it was uh, he it was like a, a servant to the king. He was able to make certain predictions to the point where he even predicted his own death, um, which was death of starvation. But he couldn't predict beyond his death. So what that tells me and what that told Anthony Peake and what that tells Vivekananda is that, well, people aren't able to predict the future or peek into the future if it hasn't already happened, right? If I have seen a movie right? And you don't know I've seen a movie. And then I start telling you, oh, this is about to happen or this is about to happen. You're going to look at me and be like, well, you've already fucking seen this movie, haven't you? Right? Because you wouldn't have been able, you wouldn't be able to pinpoint certain aspects. Even if you saw it a long time ago, there's parts of you that will remember, wait a minute, uh, this is about to happen because it's already been, the loop has already been written. And that loop is that the entire storyline, right? That's a character arc all of these things that we kind of write about it, it's all mechanical. Even if you haven't seen a movie, if you've seen enough movies, you kind of tend to know how certain things are going to play out more or less, right? Um, and so that's what they're basically, 
that's what Vivekananda is basically saying in this quote. All right. So I'm going to break it down. I'm going to wrap it up um, with the understanding that going forward, I'm going to be delving more deeply into this and how it applies. How does what this quote say apply to parallel universes? I mean, you're already starting to kind of get the idea. Um, But basically, one, um, if I haven't said it enough times, I'll say it again. You're not the body, right? You are consciousness. Whatever that consciousness is, you, you're, I can't tell you what that is, right? Right now, you are experiencing life as a humanoid. But for all you know, your real self could be like a fucking mermaid or something. I don't fucking know, right? Um, just as you, when you look in the mirror, right, that's the only way you can see your own face is through reflections, through glass, through screens, right? So, so too, you can't see who you really are, what you really are, what your true self really is. And that's okay for now. You don't need to know what sort of entity you are. So, but that label consciousness is just the name that we're slapping on it right now because right now until, um, until you exit the simulation, until you exit the matrix, you don't really know precisely what your true self actually looks like. And I don't know if it really matters um, because you cannot see yourself. Even now, I cannot see myself. I cannot see my own face. I can take a picture of it and that's, you know, glass and look through glass or look through, you know, the looking glass, so to speak, to, to kind of see a reflection of myself. I can see myself in other people's like or in other people or through reflections either in their eyes or the things that they say about me, but I'm fully incapable of seeing myself. And so... Like, I can't pull out my eyeball and turn around and look at myself. Um, I mean, I guess I could, but I don't think that that's how eyes work. Um, so I, I, only have to, I can only count on, on reflections to see who I am. And I'll never be able to see what I am um, the way you see me, right? Or the way other people see me. And so I'm saying that doesn't matter. What I am saying is, one... Everything that we're experiencing right now, we've already experienced. It's already written out. We can't control it. It's a it's part of the ride. This is this is the roller coaster. We're in it. Right? So I kinda hinted at that in the towards the end of the last episode where I was saying, like, you know, I'm I'm not a revolutionary. I'm not here to change the world. I see certain things and so my I'm just doing my part. And my part is to point out the things that I see. And that's it. But I'm not going to get hot, you know, hyped up and I'm not going to get emotional in the sense of getting, you know, freaked out because I, I, I don't want to play. I'm not playing that part or I'm not. I'm like that jerk that's like <laughs> that's like watching a scary movie and I'm watching other people reacting to the movie. And I'm I'm the one person sitting back like I don't understand why we're reacting like this. You do realize it's just a movie. It's not to to be to look at other people in a condescending way to say that oh I'm somehow better because I'm conscious of the fact that it's just a movie. No, it's how I face my fears because I used to have a fear of scary movies when I was younger, when I was a kid, um, and as a result, I would have really violent, frightening, terrible nightmares. But as I got older, it was the knowledge of the fact like okay, you're these are all illusions. It's all illusion. Right? So once I became conscious of the fact, once I became aware 
of the fact, awake to the fact that this is just, a, it's just an illusion, right? These are just actors, you know, they're trying to scare you. The music is ramped up in a particular way because it wants you to get emotionally involved. You can feel your hair on the back of your neck, you know, kind of stand up. You can feel your skin kind of prickle up. Okay, that's, it's just entertainment. Once I started to look at things like that, the fear was gone. The physiological responses were gone. And I was actually able to look at a movie that was supposed to be scary and laugh. Another way that I got over um, scary movies was I started to root for the bad guys. <laughs> and I guess maybe, you know, some of my viewers have said like, well, our viewers, my listeners have said like, well, you know, we don't really like the fact that you're saying like we shouldn't criticize Trump. Um, but I guess for me, that's how I, I got over a lot of things like it, the movie, it terrified me as a kid. My brother used to make me watch that movie when I was, uh, when I was younger, um, cause he was an asshole. And, uh, and, um, and I remember just being terrified because I was like, you know, like I was like, I identified with the kids because I was a kid. So I identified with the kids. But then as I got a little older, I, I changed my perspective and I started to, and I didn't realize I was doing this. I wasn't doing this consciously. I just decided, well, let me see if I can watch this movie, but watch it from the perspective of the clown. And when you watch it from the perspective of the clown, the movie became funny and the kids became kind of stupid. Like, it was like, why, why would you do that? Like, you already see what he's capable, you know, what he's capable of. And then you're just doing X, Y, and Z. And so I was able to see through the illusion because I spun, I went against the intentions of the people who were creating the illusions, which was the movie writers and the story writers wanted me to identify with the kids and be afraid of the clown, of the monster. But I chose not to fear the monster. And so the monster sort of lost it's it's hold over my psyche and the ability to make me afraid and this was me doing this as a kid so when i look at trump and you know you talk to most people about trump well he's the monster he's the boogeyman and you know they start to identify with the victims of trump and so he becomes larger than life but when you look at him for just what he is you know you start dissecting him you realize this is an old man an old white guy he is an old man chopped right like he was given everything he never really had to work for everything anything that he's really had and as a result he's what what do you the right the, the script has been written cause and effect are linked if you take a soul and you put any soul any soul any consciousness into his storyline this is starting to make sense now you take any consciousness and you put him into his storyline as the nature of cause and effect are inter intertwined anybody if you take if you take my consciousness me right and you put me you upload my soul into trump's body as a child and you present him with all the opportunities that he's had living at all at the time periods that he grew up in I would turn out like him because free will is an illusion. Google it. Read a book on it. I, I Actually, let me see if I can find... Let me pull up my 
find a, there was a great courses that I read that basically delved into this um, brilliantly. And I would recommend it because when you are sitting back and you're pointing your finger and you start judging that, what that does is it pulls you deeper into the illusion. It makes the illusion feel more real. It makes the story feel more real, right? Like if you're watching a movie and you start talking about, okay, well, why would that person do that? Well, that person is a fucking idiot. Well, that means that you, you've, you've forgotten the fact that you're deeply immersed in the storyline and a part of you has forgotten the fact that, hey, this is just a fucking movie. The person really can't help what they are or how they're reacting because that's how they were written and these aren't real people, right? And if you were an actor playing the same role, you would behave in the exact same way too because uh, there's a fucking script that they're adhering to. Relax. So the book is called, it's a Great Courses um, book and it's called Great Philosophical Debates, free will and determinism. Read it. Listen to it. You, if somebody took your soul, right, your consciousness, right, and say it could be stored in a in a in a pill, right? And no, not a pill. But somebody took your soul and they uploaded it into Donald Trump. Not now, not with all the information that you've learned as an individual throughout your life, but just blank slated you right? And uploaded your consciousness into Donald Trump, the baby in the mother's womb, right? And you forgot who you are now and you were born and, well, I'm not even going to say you forgot who you are now. You were born and then you were a baby and you're looking around and you see Trump's mom, you see Trump's dad and you're like, oh shit, I'm Donald Trump, but you can't fucking talk for like the next two, three years. And Every day you, you're this helpless baby and, you know, you are being treated a particular way and you're kind of being molded a particular way. And then all of a sudden, like, as you get older, you start being able to talk, you start forgetting who you once were, right? And you start becoming this character, Trump. Guarantee you in 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, you start saying the same shit he says and start doing the same shit he does because that's that's his storyline. That's the path that he's in. And so if you get on a ride, you, and you now complain because of the outcome of the ride. Like you saw what it was. It's predetermined. So if you go on the ride, it's going to behave in a certain way because those loops are constructed for, to go a certain way. He is what he is because of what his consciousness consciousness has been uploaded into. And any other consciousness uploaded into that storyline, into at that timeline, because of free will being an illusion and because of determinism, is going to turn out exactly what as what we see. So what's the point of criticizing him? All that does is sinks you deeper into Maya, sinks you deeper into the illusion and makes this reality feel even that much more real. And what you're trying to do is break from the matrix and wake up because it's attachment to the illusion, it's attachment to Maya that increases suffering. So that's what I'm saying. When you criticize him, when you're pointing the finger at him, you're hurting yourself. Because you're making all of this feel that much more real. But it's not just Trump. It's anything. It's anything and it's anybody. There's somebody that you hate. 
A, they can't help what they are, right? It's a consciousness that's been uploaded into a particular life path. And as a result, they are, I don't want to use the word victim, but for lack of better wording, they're a victim of their circumstances. And if you took your consciousness, wiped your present experience and uploaded you into their body and into their life path, you would be them too. Right? I'll leave you with this, the analogy of the Sims, because that just popped into my head. You take a Sims character, right? Anybody who's playing the Sims knows that you can, you can alter its personality, right? And so you take that Sim and you build this persona, you build the personal personality of this Sim and you save it on, onto like a, a zip file or whatever. And then you share that file. Anybody who plays that Sim character on any computer, that Sim's going to behave the exact same fucking way because it's programmed to behave in that way. So for you to then react to that Sim because it's enacting its predetermined, pre-programmed personality traits is a type of insanity. You're the one at fault there. It's just doing what it's been programmed to do. Now, in the next couple episodes, I'm going to start talking about uh, deeper. I'm going to delve deeper into Gurdjieff and uh, Uspensky. Um, and like, talk about uh, the mechanical nature of man. And I also would like to talk about how you can turn that wheel that loop that is your life into a spiral and then eventually leave the simulation. Stop the, the loop of reincarnation. So I'm, I'm going to be pulling a lot of stuff together. And it's going to be like, like this episode was, a stream of consciousness thoughts. So there's going to be you know, repetition and it's okay. Repetition is okay. Because the more that I repeat, you are not your body, the more it starts to sink in. So that when your husband, because you're, you're stuck in the house with them right now, um, or your kid is antagonizing you, you can take a step back and go, wait a minute, they're not, they can't help what they're doing or their behavior. They're not even fully conscious of the fact that they are consciousness having an experience within this persona. And it can help you stop suffering. So it's going to be fun. Stay positive. Thanks for listening. And uh, I'll talk to you guys soon.